Hello, everyone. Welcome to Queen Quantum Nurse Freedom International live stream. And we are excited to have uh, Tim Kirby back. And uh, we are also, I'm also happy that um, Hartmut and John are co-hosting with me. We miss Roy and we miss Jane, but in the next other episodes, they'll be here with us. So we send greetings to all of you who can make it today and also who are we're grateful for all of you who would like subscribe and then share this episode okay because the topic that we're going to have today is 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 usually uh information that most of us get it wrong or you know we always have like anything about russia and china and iran it's like whoa it's like well, you know, just difficult to understand or just difficult to believe that we're hearing it different from what is really happening. So Tim Kirby, it's his second time here, and I really like him to keep coming back because he is an American-born Russian political analyst and radio talk show host. He has lived in Russia since 2006 and writes on a wide variety of topics from geopolitics to ideology. He also does travel material in his YouTube, but I think that YouTube was censored or something, but he'll let us know on what's going on with that. Mm -hmm. Also, he he's continues to play for the offensive line of the Moscow Spartans American Football Club. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. which I appreciate. I see, uh, John, there in the background, you have a Corinthian helmet, which you could say is a Spartan helmet. So I appreciate that on your desk. Uh, but yeah, I still still play for the Mo Moscow Spartans. Uh, getting near the end of my time on the football field, but not quite there yet. So uh, yeah, about the um, the channels and getting sort of banned. Well, the first thing is uh, I did a lot of the uh, the travel material for uh, Russia Beyond. Uh, and uh, they got the censorship hammer. So everything connected to Russia Beyond got closed down, uh, which gave me the rights to the videos then, because the solution was, it's kind of like, well, we put all this time and effort in these videos, you might as well show them somewhere, so now they're mine. So in some ways, it's kind of a benefit, <laughs> ironically. Um, and But also my political channel, the first one I started, Tim Kirby Russia, uh, that got shut down by YouTube. Uh, it's kind of more for nuanced reasons, but I opened a new one called Tim Kirby Russia Reloaded on YouTube. Uh, but thankfully on BitChute and Rumble, uh, my political stuff was never taken down. Uh, same thing with um, the travel stuff. Rumble has been a lot more gentle uh, with people. So, Well, thank you. And it's just interesting that, yeah, for most of us, yeah, when something sort of like tried to block block us from what we believe we need mm. to do is something else opens up and we just yeah. open our eyes and then it, we just welcome connection. Well, yeah, I, can e I can even say that uh, uh, just what you're saying um you know how it even says at the bottom of the screen of screen about my telegram channel and to be honest i never really sort of understood the point of telegram and it seemed kind of like maybe something more for celebrities almost like a it's like it's kind of like I look at it and from far away it looks like Twitter. But then when I started using it, I was actually like, this is kind of a really cool platform. And I I would have never started using Telegram if I wouldn't have been banned from Facebook uh, and Instagram. 
I got the big bad block for life there. So I was like, well, uh, now what am I going to do? And I gave it a try, and it turned out that uh, we're at 10,000 subscribers. Yay. Uh, so apparently it was a decent decision. Uh, am I the best, most interesting person on Telegram? I don't think so, but it's still a pretty decent format. So who knows? Yes, I can vouch for that because I check on, <laughs> on your uh, Telegram. Mm -hmm. and it's just good to re remind the audience that whatever platform the Telegram uh, may even including Telegram, just remember there will always be trolls. There will always be you oh, know, yeah. people trying to like just create more confusion, okay? So mm -hmm. and just don't get comfortable. Always shield up, protection up. No. And we take that's how we take care of ourselves and continue to do that. So I thank you, Tim, because Tim mm -hmm. had a little rough day. Uh, yeah, yeah, a little rough one today. <laughs> everything, everything was delayed. Everything. But I wanted, um, and it's the best thing. Um, let's say, let me just start with something that um, many people also, well, even here in United States, right, or in other countries with what's going on with our own countries, different countries mm -hmm. sometimes, or, or, or our own states, okay? So I'm in New Jersey. So we there are many things that we just, we, we, we it gives us an incentive to maybe it's time to move. Mm -hmm. So, or maybe, so, and I know people have, have already moved away from New Jersey, from New York, from California and moving to certain states. So. But of course, they're also thinking, what country? So I thought, how about, can you just start us with how's the migration process or what's going on, including the uh, refugees, you know? So just Okay. Well, uh, well, unfortunately, this is going to sound a bit weird because you have a guy come on and he calls himself his program, Tim Kirby Russia. And yet I'm going to tell you that the immigration process to Russia is absolutely brutal. If you were to sort of uh, put like on a table of different places that you could potentially go to across the world, I think Russia offers a very good lifestyle, uh, especially if you tend to be more sort of religious, conservative, this, that, and the other. It's a very, very great place to be. But getting here is a nightmare. It is absolutely not this kind of country like uh, in Thailand. It's just kind of, hey, you just kind of go there and you get your tourist visa, and then every once in a while you have to drive to Malaysia and drive back, and everyone's happy, and the police never look and question anything, and the weather's fun, and you get to go to your uh, British um, pub and uh, chill out with your buddies. It is not like that. Uh, in order to come to Russia, you really have to want to be here. And one of the reasons why it's tough is because the laws, the way the laws are written, uh, there's a couple paradoxes. So first off, essentially, you need to have some sort of justification to immigrate to Russia. Uh, one of those could be being born in the Soviet Union. Um, there's a few kind of other weird ones. Uh, some of them are, you know, disappearing. You fought with the Soviet Union during World War II. There's not many candidates for that one anymore. But the ultimate one is generally being married to a Russian citizen, which means what if you're not married or what if you're already married and very happy with your wife? Then you just can't come here. And that's the problem. The furthermore, the, the second thing that makes it very difficult about coming here is that in order to immigrate to Russia, you already have to be living in Russia, which sounds insane, but that is exactly the way it is. Because the only way to get to, to file for temporary residency, you have to be living in Russia. 
but there is no visa for like a spousal visa to get you to come here even with your spouse or some sort of weird visa that just lets you live here. That such visa doesn't exist. Uh, and very few people are able to uh, kind of, um, you know, jump over that line, if you understand what I mean. So does, so, it, mean, yeah. does it mean you have to start as a tourist in for a tourist visa? Yeah, for the most part of, of foreign people who've actually gone through this process, generally it's sort of a, ma a matter of sticking with it until you can sort of find a way through. Like with me, uh, I was here on, uh, I came here on a student visa as an excuse to look for a job. This was back when it was easier to hire foreign people and I was able to find a job, had a few work visas. Eventually I got married and that sort of opened the door for me. Um, but I can tell you that uh, my friend, Father Joseph Gleason, who you might know, uh, American-born Eastern Orthodox priest. He lives way up north. Uh, he's had a few foreign families come to him, but essentially for them to immigrate, they have to kind of move their on tourist visas uh, and kind of start going to church, getting to know the local church. The church starts to believe them, then sort of working out a deal with the the, the Father Joseph, the uh, church, and these people to, to sort of go and present themselves to the governor. The governor then might want to give his blessing to them, this, that. So it's almost like he has to make sp a special exception in the uh, immigration rules for every family. It's nuts. Um, he's done it a few times. But, of course, you know, Father Joseph can't have, you know, if, say, 30 families showed up tomorrow, it would take him 30 years to get them to immigrate. You know what I mean? He can do about one or two families a year. Uh, he's got his own life and... Uh, it's very difficult. Uh, there's a few weird tricks that people can do. Like one is they're, they're looking for what are called highly qualified specialists. So who is that? That is a uh, now 200 profession list of jobs in Russia, where if you do that job and you make uh, X number of money, a pretty high salary, then uh, you, you can live here. The problem is, again, it's very difficult to get a job here as a foreigner in general. So it's kind of not working very well. But what some people do, is they uh, set up a business within Russia and they pay themselves to be a highly qualified specialist. So essentially they pay themselves to do something. Um, however, they have to pay taxes on that money. And it's kind of a, a complex thing, but a couple of people have done that. But I think that loophole is not going to last for long because the government's very aware of it. So I'm not really sure what the future is going to be. Uh, I can tell you, though, that I've participated uh, in the Committee of Nationalities in the State Duma and, get, and told this stuff I'm telling you, I've told them. Uh, they all sort of nodded their heads. But remember, they, that committee is organized by one of the minority parties. So we'll see. In theory, they've uh, addressed a lot of these issues and they want to change the migration laws in order to make them more sane or relevant to the needs of Russia. Uh, but uh, we'll see. It's uh, very often difficult for a minority party to get anything approved. I see. But you know, uh, Tim, it's not too different from the immigration uh, rules or standards in United States because and there's also a sometimes a this uh, let's see like for me I had to come and have my um, work visa yeah okay so I did that and that takes over a year three years I believe if I remember it correctly and then once you'll be here, then it's up to me to apply if I want to be an immigrant or not. But mm -hmm. you, you start with a work visa. But getting your family members, just as you mentioned, it, people have waited for over uh, over a 12 years or just 12 yeah. years waiting. Now, again, it's up 
is sometimes also there's some miraculous arrangement that you know based on the connections then that could also be shorter so and it's it's also interesting when i still remember when i was in hong kong and i traveled i wanted to see china and i was on the train we were there already but of course we couldn't cross the border because i didn't realize that they are they i need to have a a american a visa for china but it's interesting tim oh. because the philippine passport they are not asking for a visa but my American passport, you see all that geopolitical mm. things yeah. going on. So, and I, I so maybe, maybe what's your thought? Maybe why it is that difficult or that's being, and you know, so, oh, and also, does it mean that you have less um, refugees coming from, you know, other countries? Because in the United States, almost. A lot of states are like sanctuary states, sanctuary okay. cities. All right. Well, why is it is it is the way it is? Well, because generally uh, there's two major topics that if you ask Russian people, like Russian people who are born in Russia especially, you ask them about these two topics, be they gun laws or immigration laws, they have no idea. And that's probably was true for me. Well, I knew gun laws in America, but about immigration laws, I pretty much knew nothing. I was born there. All my family members were born there. You don't even think about it. You're an American citizen from birth. And so most Russian people have never, ever, ever even thought about this. Furthermore, based on their lack of knowledge, there is this uh, universal belief, okay, that it is extremely easy to immigrate to Russia. Every person, if you were to go, if we were to do like some sort of survey on the street of random people, we asked them, uh, you know, did you immigrate to Russia? And if they answer no, okay, so they didn't, they were born here. Then you'd ask the next question. Is it easy to immigrate to Russia? Oh, yeah, it's the easiest thing in the world. Everyone just comes here. They just pay some bribe or something. Uh, I mean, literally, uh, I'm doing this project called the American Villages, uh, which is uh, trying to set up a, a sort of village in a way kind of for people who are sort of ideological refugees of a in a sort of uh, sense. Uh, to, to come to Russia, but mostly just to kind of shed light on these nuts immigration laws and get people around these uh, immigration hurdles. But anyways, uh, you know, after that, Russian people write me and they're just like, well, why don't you just have everyone pay a bribe? To whom? What bribe? How does this work? And no one knows. They're just sure that these foreign people just come here and they just pay money and they get to stay. No, <laughs> no, Russia deports people all the time. So that's that's issue number one of kind of what we were talking about. In some ways, it's so it's the sort of uh, oh, also why things haven't changed because in some ways it's a very sort of um almost self fulfilling prophecy. The laws are really hard, so Western people really don't immigrate to here in great numbers, which means there doesn't seem to be any demand. So why should we change the laws? You see, it feeds into itself basically. Uh, and also it convinces then the Russians that West, Western people don't want to come here. Because if you know, knew how many times in a taxi, in a cafe, when people hear my awful accent and they ask, where are you from? For the 10,000th freaking time. And here in America, one of the top three comments is, well, huh, you came here, but did you know that everyone wants to go to America? <laughs> Uh, I do. I cannot exp express to you how many times people said that exact same thing. So there's also this belief uh, overall, not just due to the laws, but that no one wants to come here. So why should they, uh, you know, change the laws or even consider it? Because no one wants to come here. 
uh, is a big part of it. If you're talking about people of sort of a refugee nature, well, remember, millions of people have left the war zone in Ukraine. Uh, I can say the majority went to Europe, but I think like about a third of the total number has gone to Russia. However, they made a special uh, exemption where if you have a Ukrainian passport, essentially, or a Ukrainian citizen, you can apply for temporary residence. Maybe you can even apply for citizenship. You can apply for something that lets you live here without any of this these games about needing justification or being married or any of that you just do it uh as part of the as part of like an emergency measure um so in a way that that's that's one category of refugee if you mean like uh let's just say uh people from africa who are having a rough time and uh, they want to seek a new life uh, first off, there's no way they're getting in here. <laughs> the borders are very closed uh, and also very well defended. And secondly, there's no welfare state in Russia. So essentially, you know, like in Europe, there's this thing where you go there, you jump off the boat, the German people work, you do nothing, and the German taxpayers support your refugee lifestyle. In Russia, you're just on the street. You know, if you don't have connections or you can't get a job, you just die. So uh, that's one of the reasons why you don't really see that much of a like waves of migrants or whatever. And also, uh, you know, got to be honest, uh, the border guards are very well armed. And uh, if you don't surrender, they shoot. So that's that's also part of it. Unlike with European policies where uh, I know in the United States, for example, with like Florida is they had the policy where if any boat makes it to land, then you've essentially made it like from Cuba, presumably. However, in the water, if the boat stays in the water, the Coast Guard can try to push it away or something. Whereas in Russia, you know, it's so, yeah. So the, the policies are much more um, tough. I'll put it that way. Really interesting. Yeah. Um, I know there we could have another uh, episode just to discuss about whether our, all our thoughts and perspective on immigration in the borders and yeah, sorry the, a little bit of a br brutal realities there but that's kind of yeah. the way it is uh, i've actually had the chance to actually walk up literal to the literal border uh in finland and it's not that tall but it's three uh fences that are covered in like different barbed wire and razor wire and there's three rows of fences and uh they also know somehow there must be some sort of motion sensors because they know when something's moving there and they can sort of like react to it so again, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very different, much more uh, <laughs> harsh setup. Well, for most of us, especially Filipinos, most most of us really came and immigrate in many other countries, um, like mm. let's say lawfully or legally. <laughs> yeah. So it, it sometimes that also is like an uh, a hard thing for me to swallow when you know, everyone can just come in with no strict rules and regulation or the process, whereas many, like my, 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 uh, let's see, my, my brother didn't make it here and he passed away already because my mother passed oh. Oh, my, oh, so anyway, my, yes. So, and then if my mother, if a parent passed away already, you can't, you can't continue. It's very hard to continue um, the, the the process. You see, so it's it, for me. I really like the fact that it it would be strict. 
<laughs> it would be yeah. I'd go for well, that. Of course, because yeah. you jumped through all those hurdles and probably did all that paperwork. And uh, don't you have to uh, you and take expand. like some sort of long test about constitutional law to become an American? Well, when you're here already, but most of us have to take an English test, even in the mm. Philippines, and then we come mm -hmm. here. And so it's really like a process. And I, there will be so many more that you could share with us about the life in Russia. But I'll mm. move. I'll move on, and okay. I'll pass you. To, I'll pass on to uh, Hartmut, and mm. then we could continue again. Okay. Thank you for coming. Sure thing. Hi Tim, my pleasure to have you here back on the show. Um, my pleasure to be here. <laughs> um, what, what I want to know is, for example. Is it possible, for example, to get a tourist visa and then, for example, stay in to work with a tourist visa and then go out for five days and come back? Well, some of your viewers might be surprised, but absolutely. Uh, despite the war, despite all this, the all the Russian embassies are still issuing tourist visas. I've I know personally and I've seen people get their tourist visa and come here to uh, visit. I've seen it with my own eyes, so it is uh, very much possible. However, uh, as we were talking a little bit before we got on air, uh, the price of airplane tickets has gone way up because you have to sort of fly around. Uh, you suggested Turkey. I know people who've gone through Dubai and Delhi. So you kind of have to fly around the whole war zone and mostly, for the most part, fly around Europe. Uh, so the price can really add up, especially for people uh, in the United States, Canada, uh, and uh, elsewhere. I guess if you're already in India, then nothing's changed, <laughs> you know, because you can just fly from India uh, directly here. Uh, but yeah, so it is possible. And uh, Russia has, uh, has been a lot more welcome to visitors than you might think. I would say, although their immigration laws are harsh, the whole thing of come on and visit uh, is, is uh, Russians are actually very open to, uh, to curious visitors. Uh, that is one thing that's different. And uh, the tourist visas are not particularly hard to get, not particularly expensive. About living here, one problem that is changing, which is kind of a little scary, is that for Europeans, so for yourself, then uh, they uh, previously had the sort of, basically Russian visas tend to be sort of reciprocal. Like if a country says, hey, we're going to go visa-free with you, we'll be visa-free, you be visa-free with us. That's kind of how they do it. They're sort of passive about this. And so America actually offers very good tourist visa terms to Russians, okay? And so Americans can come here. They can live here. Uh, the tourist visa lasts for three years. You can be here six months. All you have to do is leave for like a day or two. I forget how long, maybe more than 24 hours, and you can come back. So in some ways, an American tourist visa almost allows you to live here. Of course, you can't work legally, but man, people get around that. Now with Europeans, it seems to be currently that it's, uh, for every year, you can be here six months, and I think they're going to drop that down to three months because I think that's what's happening for Russians in Europe. So for Europeans to come here, it's just going to get harder and harder. Obviously, if you're coming here for a vacation, uh, three months is plenty of time. Uh, if you're coming here because you want to build a life here or live your Russian dream or whatever, uh, well, that's that's not, not going to work. I see. Yeah. Interesting. And... Um... What is your uh, what is your experience concerning the language? Do they all, do the young people speak English or what's the situation? For example, if tour, if people from foreign countries come to Russia, do they need to speak Russian before uh, uh, up front or what? What mm -hmm. do you suggest? 
this is one of those ones where I might try to explain it. Like, you know, uh, I never took Spanish in school, but I do know, like, uh, I don't know, gracias, muy bueno, and like a few other expressions. And we all know some naughty words in Spanish. That's generally what Russians know in English. So it's sort of like if someone were coming from <laughs> Argentina and they meet some guy who looks like me in the Midwest and they're like, como estas, da, 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 da. And the other person will just be like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, that's like, they're like, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's like something like, buenos dias. And that's it, you know? And so that's kind of what they're probably going to encounter from 95% plus uh, Russians. You do get your occasional English language fan or English language school teacher, uh, but generally most people are not. However, uh, we live in very modern times, and one thing I also explain to people is that on the one hand, you have to pass language tests that are increasingly difficult, but none of them are difficult uh, to get your temporary residency, then permanent residency, then citizenship. So you do have to speak Russian in order to immigrate here to some extent. But again, these tests are like the most basic, easy stuff. But on the other hand, like we live in the 21st century, and you know, you're ordering stuff online. I mean, you could... Uh, uh, you can basically kind of in some ways uh, with Google Translate or like the, using Google Chrome to translate everything, you could sort of go to every store in Russia without ever leaving your house and have everything delivered and really not need to speak the language too much. How you'd get a job or a career or build a family or that, that's, that's difficult. But uh, you'd be surprised how many people have lived here for a long time and really don't speak the language. It's, it's Sometimes it's actually impressive. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So, um, because, um, yeah, for example, I would like to go to Russia, but you're right. I have to, uh, I can stay there for three months, and then I have to go back for three months again as Germany. Yeah. And like I said, uh, then it'll be even worse, because you'll stay here for three months and have to leave for nine months or something like that. It, oh, if the law passes. Again, it's weird. They want to talk to us, all these foreigners. Hey, let's go to the State Duma foreign people. Tell us about all your problems, this, that, and the other. And so there's certain factions that think, okay, this basically the, the logic is this. There's a sort of ideological battle between two sides. One side says... Uh, look, the West has uh, proven to us to be our eternal enemy, which I kind of agree with, but their idea is the West is the eternal enemy. So that means the average person there hates us, which is the dumbest logic ever, but that's the logic of it. So we don't need these people from unfriendly countries coming here. I guess they can visit. They can visit, but that's it, okay? And so they want to make it harsher. Then you have the other faction, which says, okay, guys, we're in a multipolar world. And uh, the real enemy are people with this sort of like globalist mindset that hate humanity and want to bring us down. And hey, maybe we should actually try to bring like-minded people from across the world to Russia who want to be here. And we're going to be the uh, shining uh, city on a hill like America used to be. That's going to be our new job, uh, you know, or one of the one of the few shining uh, cities on a hill. Uh, and uh, that's kind of the, the the other competing logic that I'm more advocating for. Who knows who's going to win? Unfortunately, I think the more pessimistic logic is uh, much more Russian. Russians like the pessimism. They love it. So we'll see. And what is your experience with Russians um, as foreigner, as an American in Russia? Are they friendly or 
are they reserved? What 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 do they what they what is your personal experience? Oh, well, I I can't remember. There's this expression where they think there's something like there's ooh peach people and coconut people because peaches are soft on the outside and sweet, but kind of rock hard on the inside and coconuts are hard on the outside and the soft, uh, sweet parts on the inside. And Russians are part of the coconut people where they're kind of distrustful. They're a little bit more cold and reserved publicly, but then they're a lot more nice uh, on the inside. Whereas, uh, although there are plenty of great people in America, I'm sure you've met some of the kind of people in America who talk to you like this, but they hate your guts, you know? Uh, so we kind of have the more peach people sort of way of doing things where you, you dig in and there can be a sometimes uh, rough inside. Uh, so I would say Russians definitely meet that uh, sort of stereotype there. Um, one of the problems is I'm kind of a strange person. I'm not trying to say I'm cool and I'm unique and I'm different than everyone. I'm not trying to uh, toot my own horn, but uh, I'm a very, very loner type of person, which uh, means uh, I'll put it this way. A, I don't really mind being a little bit outside of society on some level, you know, because I am kind of a loner. So I don't really need friends or like, you know, I'll put it this way. I've met a lot of expats throughout the whole world or immigrants of a European persuasion. And there is this one kind of group of them where sometimes, you know, if these people, like some of the other expats leave, they're like really sad and they have no one to talk to and they go to the British pub by themselves, but the only people at the British pub are Russians or Thais or Vietnamese or whoever, and then they're all sad about it and they don't feel a connection to anyone. That doesn't apply to me. I don't, it doesn't bother me, I, nothing. Uh, so it's kind of hard to say. I don't know. Uh, I know some definite tales of successes when foreign people come here and they really can immigrate, integrate to society. Uh, I mean, you know, if you start going to church here, you're definitely going to get accepted in that church community. That's for darn sure. Um, you know, like I said, I play American football. I feel very accepted on the football team, but again, like I'm just a loner weirdo. Like the idea of like, Oh, let's all go to the banya together and like drink beer naked. Like, no, 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 let's, let's not, let's play the sport together. Let's not, <laughs> let's not turn this into like a weird sort of marriage between men, you know, but that's just the way I am. <laughs> so I would actually say that you could definitely build some really good friendships with Russian people. But remember, um, uh, if, if you guys have ever traveled overseas, Sometimes there are certain people who might like um, use you as English practice or uh, Hartmut uh, in your um, uh, in your case, German practice. You know what I mean? Whereas you meet someone and they're like this uh, Germanophile and they're like, oh, my God, I love Germany. I, I took German in college and they kind of just want to hang around with you so they can absorb a German language or maybe get to know you to use you for connections in Germany. You see what I mean? So there sort of is that trap where you could kind of, uh, it's sort of like, a, I don't know, uh, maybe Grace, you can relate that. Um, I'm sure every woman has at some point felt that men are kind of using her for her appearance. Yeah, they kind of want her for, you know, her, her looks and maybe not so much something else. And you kind of feel that way as foreigner where it's like, yeah, you, you just want me to help you immigrate to America. How the hell I could do that, I don't know. But I meant they're like, but you're American. You can help me immigrate to America. No. <laughs> no, I can't. So so there is a little bit of that side to it where you can be, uh, I will not say exploited, but uh, feel a little maybe used. 
that the friendship is based on uh, s- ulterior motives. I see. Yeah. I see. And um, when you can tell in short how you made it in Russia, because you told us in the in the last episode uh, that you were looking for your roots and you found mm-hmm. your roots, I think, in Poland. Yeah. And then and then you uh, decided to move to Russia. And uh, if you can explain the audience again in short term, how did you move to Russia? How was it for you? And how did you how did you get it done there? Because okay, we'll not we'll not repeat, but to keep it simple, on my mo- but all my relatives, despite my last name, my last name is actually fake. Okay, uh, it's what's real on my documents. In that sense, it's real, but it's not connected to my family history or anything. All my ancestors were Slavic. On my mom's side, they were Polish, and throughout communism and World War II and all these other upheavals and changes, their address stayed the same. And so my grandmother, on my mother's side, uh, would write to my Polish relatives. Uh, letters that would go over the sea, even during communism, back and forth, these letters and all that. So when I was like a teenager, I went to visit there. And uh, definitely when I was a teenager, I was part of Team Loser. I was definitely one of the least cool kids at school. Uh, obviously, well, there were, I don't know what I should say. Uh, this is going to come out bad. I want to say thankfully, but in comparison to the children who are mentally handicapped, I guess I, I they kind of took a little bit of the heat off me. But other than them, I was uh, loser enemy number one. And so you go to Poland, and all of a sudden, it's like your life. My life was new. People didn't know me, and in some ways, like I mentioned about this, like oh, you're the cool English speaking guy. In some ways, this whole like you're from this other place that we've seen in Hollywood movies kind of actually gives you a little bit of social clout, a little bit of social status boost just by default. And also, in Poland, I look exactly like everyone. Okay, and when I come from a, a black neighborhood in Cleveland. You know, uh, you definitely get to feel some racism. And then when you're in a Polish village, everyone's just like, you're, everyone is like you. For the first time in my life, everyone looks like me. It's amazing. Uh, so I went back to America, and then I became a Peace Corps volunteer in Kazakhstan because I actually wanted to be a Peace Corps volunteer in Poland and build a life in Poland. But uh, that didn't work out. They said, do Kazakhstan now or wait six months. I didn't have the money or the opportunity. I was just like, okay, Kazakhstan now. And that's where I started to learn Russian. I had similar experiences in Kazakhstan where I felt like I was much more in line with society and had much more of a purpose. And I certainly wasn't a complete loser. Uh, it's ironically, I had, I was, that was the most broke I've ever been in my life. I had nothing. And yet I felt like I was, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 oh, what's a good expression you could say on YouTube. Uh, I don't know the king of the, the king of the hill. I don't know. And, uh, so then after that, when that was over, I, for sort of, a what's that word called? Um, nostalgic reasons. I really missed like my buddies and stuff. But after I came back from Kazakhstan, I realized I kind of made a mistake because my group of friends kind of fell apart in Ohio And everyone kind of fell apart. And I was kind of just like, man, this sucks. I I should have stayed in Kazakhstan. In fact, to be honest, uh, I kind of blew it. There was a, a Kazakhstani girl who really fell in love with me. And uh, I could have taken a job on an oil rig, or not oil rig, because they're, you know, on land. But uh, worked with her at the, on, in oil. And I didn't take it uh, because I was nostalgic. And that was a, kind of a huge mistake that set my entire life back. So... Uh, minus one wife, uh, minus one career in the oil industry. And so 
I kind of realized that I need to get back to this part of the world or I'm just going to be a complete loser. And uh, to be honest, let's all be honest here. What happens if a man is a complete loser? Zero success with women. <laughs> okay. And especially when you're uh, 22 and your uh, hormones are telling you to go out there and meet a lady, uh, you know, you need to get that status. Uh, status is king. Hypergamy is real. So, uh, you know, I saved up some money and I uh, basically studied at Moscow State. But while I was studying, I looked for a job and uh, thank the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I had the, the opportunity to find one. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, no, that's very, that's interesting. So, um, but, uh, but uh, the people understand that you, let's say you were prepared more or less to come to Russia. So the people cannot... They have to be prepared in order to come to Russia if they want to. Well, yeah, this whole Peace Corps experience was essentially like a, a sort of experiment that had a golden parachute. Because with the Peace Corps, I mean, you're not there at gunpoint. If you choose to quit, you can quit. They send you to all these different countries around the world. And it's kind of your job. It's, it's actually very, in some ways, an easy job and in some ways a hard job. It's easy because... That's kind of it's the, the the standards are abstract. It's kind of just like don't shame America. Okay, that's easy. But what they want you to do is go to this other country and try to do really good things and be like a local social activist. Uh, and that way, I wasn't a good volunteer, so I didn't shame America. And one thing I did do is, did you know one third of Peace Corps volunteers psychologically can't hack it? Like they they mentally break down. And I actually made it to the end. <laughs> so in some ways, I remember even the woman who was like my director, she said, I forget, uh, she was actually a local. So she was like, you know, Tim, you did not do much, but you did not complain. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I was the only person who never called once to complain. So, uh, uh, yeah. So uh, I guess uh, that is true Russian grit that I had or something. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Yeah, so the thing is with that Peace Corps experience, I sort of had this two-year trial period to try out life in the former Soviet Union. And maybe that's I think that's definitely different than someone who are the people who want to come to my American village and all this, who are like, uh, I'm 38, I have six kids, uh, I'm an Orthodox Christian, I want to be living in an environment that is more uh, in line with my religious ideology. What am I going to do? And this person has never been here. They've got a bunch of kids in tow and a wife, and you know that's a whole different ball game than single guy who had a two-year golden parachute experience. So I understand that these are very different situations. <clears throat> I see. And from the economical point of view, for example, how is it to live for for Russian people in in Russia? Do they have any lacks, or is prosperity there do, do you have um for example um what is the price for gas here in germany we pay one dollar eighty one euro eighty mm. for diesel yeah this is uh, very oh boy. tough let's see how much are there 70 rubles in there oh man hold on. Uh, euro, yeah? let's see let's hold on let's see one 180 let's see 180 wait 1.8 euro to rube how much is that? <laughs> yeah, we pay a lot less. Uh, we pay, uh, I don't know. So it, we pay one less than one-third the price. One-third? Yeah, per liter. Wow. That's so you pay you pay 155 rubles. Uh, we pay 48, I think it is. 
48 this is less than one euro this is this is 80 cents yeah it's yeah so that's that's not bad i would say the real thing from an american standpoint is uh, i pay for uh both my kids phones and my own and the home internet uh, and cable tv is 17 dollars unlimited yeah <laughs> 300 megabits a second baby that's what i'm using right now so yeah, it's, so it's certain amazing. certain things, yeah, certain certain things here are crazy cheap. What gets expensive in Russia? To be honest, I think food is overpriced. Um, okay. I would say that the one thing where I'm kind of like like that the thing that keeps me from living a more upper middle class lifestyle and drags me down, uh, I think is you know what these kids and the food. It's just like food, 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 and you know, uh, it seems like uh, every day more and more food, 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 eat, 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 and I think that the the food tends to to, to add up uh, pretty quickly. Um, that, but utilities are really cheap too. So on the one hand, I would say that Russian salaries tend to be really bad, but yeah. things like utilities and all that are really cheap. Now, one thing that is a reason that would be for people to come here, especially people who are more intrapreneuristic, is that a word? It is now, <laughs> uh, is uh, entrepreneurial. That's the word is that essentially there's this government program called being self-employed. And if you are self-employed, you have this app on your phone where you can, you know, basically like, I don't know, if you're an English teacher, you basically take the money, you, they, they, they send it to a particular bank account, and you make them a little check, and the government sees it, and the person gets the, the, the check sent to their phone or whatever. Long story short, you pay 4% taxes, and that's it. So if you're really entrepreneurial, uh, you can make, a, you get to keep your money. Um, that's probably one thing that happens when the prime minister is from the tax department. He knows about, he seems to have a very good attitude towards that. So the Russian laws are very much oriented towards this idea of if you work as an employee, you'll never get ahead. If you work for yourself, it's just a green, it's a green light, red carpet, uh, go forward. And so, although I do, uh, some, some things as an employee, uh, I do a lot of stuff on the left, as they say in Russian, uh, so sort of side hustles. And it's great because you're keeping 96% of your money legally. Wow. Yeah. Brilliant. That's great. And yeah. um, what is the concerning house um, rent of a flat or so? Is this also very expensive? Yeah. Well, you know, one thing the war did, unfortunately, is it uh, kind of killed one of my favorite things to tell people is how cheap houses are in Russia and all this stuff. Well, everything got more expensive. COVID kind of hit the wood, uh, especially that uh, OSB, which is in English. It, I think it's also called OSB, but it's chipboard, I think, for Ohioans. But that big uh, four foot by eight foot piece of flat board that's made out of these shivers of uh, wood glued together. Uh, that's still expensive here. Gosh darn, it's 500 rubles a board. What is, uh, again, what is that? Hold on, we got to go. 500 rubles a board. That's so like, uh, yeah, six euros a board. I Gosh. think 75, $75 or $80. What? Whoa, oh, that, my goodness. Wait, wait, wait. You seriously, you, you wait, how much for one board of that? Yeah, 500. No, wait a minute, 500 rubles. No, it's $7. Seven to eight yeah, so yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's about $7 or something, which uh, really adds up, which I guess when you put things into dollars or euros, it doesn't sound like much, but I remember it in Russia being less than 300, like where that stuff was just like candy. <laughs> you could, it, did, it didn't cost anything. So a lot of stuff has gotten, first wood got expensive because of COVID and also sanctions because apparently a lot of uh, normal wood, like rough cut wood, uh, the price came back down, 
but all this fancy stuff with particle board and all that requires glues from Europe, so it's expensive. And because uh, now with the war, apparently cement is at a premium, and so everything's more expensive than it used to be. So my dinky abode uh, that I bought uh, many years ago that I had to completely, you know, gut renovate and uh, install water and all that. It was a million rubles to buy it. And then it cost about 700,000 rubles to uh, actually renovate it and make it all year round living, uh, which is in today's money, 1,900 and uh, wait, 1,000. No, 19,000, excuse me, 19,640 euros. Uh, for 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 my house but now uh guys you're not going to find those prices anywhere because people like tim i remember your videos you bought your house not far from moscow for a million rubles dude hook me up with one of those they don't exist anymore that's gone that's vanished uh into history i think pretty much you're not going to find anything under two million uh yeah. so yeah prices definitely went up on houses uh for my american village project we were just quoted on a 100 square meter house for four million lock stock and smoking barrel to build one for example and four million rubles would be in the uh, euros 46,000 euros to build a 100 square meter house which probably is cheap for you in germany but for yeah, russia that seems ridiculous and offensively expensive yeah yeah. Well, now I see John shaking his head. I guess John also is a little offended. <laughs> so remember, salaries are lower, man. They're lower. They are lower. But that's another thing is if you can somehow have like a job in the West and get that money over here on crypto. I know I have a good friend who I really want to go back and visit who lives in Siberia. And he actually was working, and I think still is, for Hollywood like doing stuff on the computer, 3D design and all this stuff and the and the special effects and these games and all this stuff. Uh, and But he was living in the middle of nowhere in Russia. So he has, you know, this it looks like a Scandinavian palace, you know. So uh, the, the real ideal thing is to somehow make uh, money in uh, Western currencies here. And then you really, th those are people who tend to live really, really well. And uh, so. my la I have one, one last question, then I pass it to John. How no. can you transfer money from Russia to the West? Oh, really? Unfortunately, now, uh, well, I know some people are, as soon as they hear the word cryptocurrencies, they're, they're just going to feel sick inside their ears or their mind. And I was one of those people for a long time because uh, th this idea of crypto has been ruined by the uh, crypto advocates who make it seem stupid. Uh, it's actually a very interesting concept that is not intuitive whatsoever. But if you can get used to it, in fact, I had to have one of my um, uh, the sort of subscribers there really kind of show me with some screenshots how this works. But if you take the time to learn it, you can essentially really get around almost anything via, via crypto. Uh, so crypto is one way. There's a few people that somehow have certain mechanisms where you can uh, use their services. Uh, there's a group called Let's Russia. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some fake ones. So be careful. Let's Russia on Telegram. Uh, talk to those people. They could also help you with money. Uh, and the third way is just physically bringing cash here because apparently you can bring as much cash in Russia as you want. You're supposed to declare it, but no one does. Because mm -hmm. like in America, you know, when you land, uh, one time this happened to me, my children had apples. And so this little dog comes up to play with my kids and they're like, oh, look at the cute dog. And the dog's actually like the security, throw the apples in the garbage. So like they have all these dogs to sniff you and all this stuff. And in Russia, I really haven't seen that. Maybe they do. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, generally when I've gotten off of international flights in Russia, yeah, just get off the plane. So if somehow you can have a bunch of money on you, I guess they're not going to even look. But I have been told that's kind of hard to get money out of Russia. So whatever you bring, got to blow it. Yeah, correct. So Brilliant. Thank you so much. Sure. It was, it was a real pleasure again. And I pass it to John. Thank you. Have a good time. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Tim, I'm shaking my head after hearing those prices. A teardown bungalow here in Toronto will cost you a million dollars. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's teared. You, yeah. have to, you have to completely destroy the house because it's it's not even livable. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe in downtown Moscow. I mean, that's how things are, man. You know, uh, the really, these really like super... Well, I guess Toronto... Well, Toronto's not the capital of this country. Well, it's the biggest city in the country. So, I mean, you know, it's, that's comparable. Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, I bought uh, for my kids in their future. Uh, I bought for about 6 million rubles a very tiny, poopy apartment that I'm going to have to pay off over the years. So that's what, uh, 6 million. So that was like $70,000 for a shack. You know, I should say shack, a, a drawer, as they would say in Russian, you know. So a one, a, a zero bedroom loft in downtown Toronto will yeah. cost you 750,000 Canadian. Okay, there's nothing comparable to that. Like you could you could get uh, well, in in Russia even something downtown that's pretty decent for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Outside uh, the city obviously you could get something amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I'm assuming you're not in like Moscow or St. Petersburg or in and around Moscow. Sometimes I'm well. The, the apartment I bought for the kids is in Moscow. The palace in the the woods is not. Okay. Um, how prevalent? Because I'm I'm Greek, and uh, mm -hmm. how prevalent is orthodoxy in Russia, especially in the major cities like like Moscow, Saint Petersburg? Well, it's one of those things where prevalent. The churches are everywhere. The church is everywhere. Uh, there's on free TV. Uh, there's a Christian channel called Salvation. Which is it's much shorter in Russia. It's spas, four letters, spas. But uh, yeah, so it's a there's a national Christian TV channel and it gets good ratings. And uh, uh, does everyone go to church? No, I would say definitely there is a thing where in the cities less people do, but in the country people sure do. So uh, yeah, if you look up something like uh, let's do hold on, maybe if we can do it in English, Christian March Russia. Will there be pictures that are good, or will it? Oh, well, here's here's uh, hmm. Google is such a letdown. Anyways, uh, well, I guess and we have which, one. Which was oh, here we go. Russia. Maybe I'll put this into our little uh, chat here, and uh, hopefully you can take a look at it. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, these whole Christian marches are very popular in Russia, and they get pretty big numbers. So yeah, religion is. Um, I wouldn't say we exactly live a religious lifestyle here, but it's definitely a notable part of life and about government and uh, so on and so forth. Like if you look at any of the uh, major uh, events that president Putin has, he always has uh, one representative from the major religions of Russia. There are five. Uh, and of course, Eastern Orthodoxy is one of them. And it always is the one closest uh, to the hearts of the majority. So. You yeah. said there are five. What other? I, I know Russian is huge with Russian orthodoxy. Yeah. So number one is uh, Eastern Orthodox Christianity, specifically. They're all specific. 
Two would be Sufi Islam. Three would be the type of Judaism we have here. Four would be Buddhism. And five, shamanism. Uh, there are some people out sort of out east uh, who relate their culture to these like shamanistic practices. And only a few years ago, they actually put shamanism uh, as sort of a part of an official sort of protected religion. So basically, uh, all these religions are the religions that are connected to the people of Russia. All other religions are considered sort of outsider religions. So uh, in the past, there have been some scandals related to uh, giving the boot to certain, uh, well, to Scientology. Scient I, I just walked past it today, the old Scientology Center that's been closed down. Um, the um, certain types of, uh, oh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, participated in a lot of um, uh, sort of rabble-rousing, as we'd say in English, or, or I mean to say, like, trying to get the population sort of stirred up against the Orthodox. So they're kind of troublemaking, so they got the boot. Uh, there's also been some sort of conflict with uh, Hindus, actually, uh, because Hinduism isn't one of those religions, and they've kind of wanted to build some sort of Hindu centers, and that didn't quite fly with the state. So, yeah. I kind of agree with that, because if uh, Toronto, like, I'm, I'm looking at the contrast between that and how Toronto is in Toronto, uh, because of uh, Mr. Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, everybody's allowed to do everything, any, everything and anything that they want. So mm -hmm. it's it's uh, it's like you lose your identity as a as, as a community and as a country when you when you allow that. So I, I kind of agree with that. And I, yeah. I, I find it I find it really important for them to uh, to hold on to those values. Um, in the early stages of moving to Russia, how hard was it? Well, it, it was hard because uh, especially because everything was unclear. Like I just kind of came in a bit naive and I just thought, okay, I'll get a job here and it'll be like America. You know, if you get a, get a job here, uh, eventually you somehow find some kind of way to immigrate. And it's like, well, that, that, that's not how it goes. So yeah, so it was, it was very difficult. And there were definitely some scary moments where I like filed for temporary residency the first time on like the very last day. And I don't know how I got through it, but uh, I did a criminal background check in America but you're actually supposed to do it on the federal level, and I did it on the state level, and I can't believe they accepted it because they were kind of like, what is this BS? I've seen these before. This isn't right. Why does it say Ohio? But they did accept it, thank goodness. Um, so, yeah, there were definitely some scary moments, some real, real scary moments with this whole process. And in the past, they didn't let people have dual citizenship. So that was another thing that kept a lot of foreigners on the infinite uh, permanent residency sort of thing. So... Yeah, so it was, it was it was definitely very tough, very very tough. It's cool. Uh, I'm only asking these questions because I may be doing a similar move, but it won't be to Russia. Uh, yeah. It will be in Europe, more hopefully Greece, uh, if mm -hmm. this pans out. But mine's, mine's yeah. Well, one thing, man, uh, like the Greek laws could be absolutely and completely different in their attitude towards all this. So I don't know. Like, for example, uh, I know someone who was also from my hometown. We grew up together. Uh, and he also wanted to chase his ethnicity. So he went back to Hungary. To, to actually get Hungarian citizenship, you have to prove you have un Hungarian ethnicity. Same which was, that Greece. was his. Oh, okay. Same well, here you Greece. don't. Well, I, I proved that. I did prove that I do have, like, my, my papers are in Greece. like, And I, oh, yeah. I, I'm allowed to own land and allowed to... Uh, own land and purchase stuff in Greece. Uh, like, I have all that stuff. I, I checked. I have my ID card, or no, not yet. I, I applied for my ID card, so it's 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 um, 
yeah, I, was, I just, I'm just fascinated by your story because I, I, I want to learn, like, how did somebody from outside transfer into a different country with no heritage? Because it's, it's, it's very fascinating. Well, all my ancestors were Slavic and when the Russian empire existed, they were all on the Russian empire side of things, but no, I didn't have any relatives here waiting to help me or anything. They've been, they've been sort of lost to time. Everyone that was on my father's side of the family. So in that sense, no, but I mean, you know, uh, I guess the ultimate thing was getting married was the thing that sort of, I guess, opened the door really, uh, to, 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 to that process. But yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, again, because uh, I do kind of look like most people here. Although, to be honest, I actually probably look more Polish than Russian or something something of that of that line. Uh, but still, you know, it's kind of like with yourself. I mean, when I look at you, if someone's like, guess what ethnicity he is, I would have bet Greek. I mean, you got the really thick, dark hair. Your facial hair is really thick, and it's also, you know, the salt and pepper. Uh, that's very, very stereotypically Greek, you know? So... And I think it's easier. One thing well, I'm always kind of mystified are the occasional Western people who are like French who come here and they don't look anything like anyone. And I always kind of wonder, I'm like, I guess you have different motivations than I do, or they don't mind being different or something, you know, or, or the occasional people too. Like uh, I've met two women who are American and they're really like super liberal, like super liberal, like everything needs to be as gay as it can be. And they choose to live here voluntarily and immigrate. And I'm always kind of like, well, I guess for them, the whole, like, maybe they do have political views, but maybe those political views are just of zero importance. They're, like, absolute last on the list, and they like it here. But it's kind of weird. because like, How are those people viewed by the rest of the community? Because I, I don't the, know. Like, I, don't, I don't know. Especially because the, the one woman, I mean, uh, she's, uh, she's great, but she's more like a kind of Midwestern gal. And she's got, like, a million tattoos, and, uh, you know, she shares my... Uh, uh, sort of uh, American way of talking loud, which in Russia is kind of a no-no for women. Uh, so I don't know, uh, but she's happy and she voluntarily, you know, did all the paperwork. Uh, she's been a t an English teacher for a long time and actually teacher is on the highly qualified specialist list. She was able to get her company to work with her. And I think she hired a lawyer and they got all this in. So they, she has permanent residency, but again, uh, so I kind of uh, one day do want to, I do want to actually pick her brain if I ever get sort of some free time with her, like you're really, really different. Cause usually when you think about who are the, who is immigrant who comes to Russia, it's usually like a uh, man, first off male, mostly uh, someone who's kind of maybe like fed up with the politics stuff. That's kind of their motivator. Like I want to be in this different way of seeing things. You know, I read this book by uh, Sergei Kurgenyan. I read this book by Alexander Dugan. I read uh, Dostoevsky. Uh, and I got this vision of what life could be like. And I went over there like that's kind of the kind of person. And uh, she's just my Midwestern sister, all tatted up and uh, is lives here for some reason. So I don't know. I don't understand it myself, but uh, she's happy. And I guess uh, she's also respectful to the country. And she's never said a bad word about the country, but she's very liberal. If you talk to her about her uh, political beliefs, I don't quite understand it. But again, maybe that's just a low priority. Maybe uh, good for her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the one, the one thing that I actually wanted to talk, ask you is uh, the, the the learning the language kind of thing because I find it funny because here in Toronto is the same thing. I know people who have lived here for fifty years, moved from Portugal, do not speak a word of English. They don't even know swear words in English. Oh. 
Well, I don't know, man. Uh, I do not know how anyone could live in that much isolation. I think there is there are there is some certain culture arrogance. I do, I have met some people who are let's just say Anglo-Saxon who really somehow live here without knowing the language, and I just don't know how because it's just like and even me. Remember, dude, like I mentioned, I'm not kidding. I don't. I'm not, like I'm not trying to be cute and be like I'm the sigma male loner guy. I'm not trying to be cute. That's just kind of how I am. And even I have learned the language pretty well, even though I kind of don't really want to have like a million friends and socialize all the time and talk to people all the time. So I, I don't get it. And I am definitely not gifted with languages because people always yell at me. You've been here 15 years and your accent sucks. Yes, it does. <laughs> I'm aware. I am not. I'm not Mr. Languages. So I don't know how people do it, but I guess they just want to they live in an isolated existence with other people who speak Portuguese or they have zero respect for Canada or zero appreciation of it. I don't know. I, I, I can't understand that either. It's a little bit of everything. Cause I know in Greece, you, you don't, you don't have to learn Greek to get around. You can get, a, you can get around by speaking English, but you can get around a lot easier speaking Greek mm -hmm. here. Yeah. You're just in your little pocket, and who cares? You're a little with, with the Portuguese community, the Italian community, the Greek community. My grandfather never spoke a word of English. Interesting. Did he uh, ever tell you why? He just didn't care to learn. I see. Well, maybe he was too old, but again, I, I just don't understand that. That seems awfully disrespectful, yeah. uh, especially if you, they're happy with this life in this country. You'd think they'd want to, but... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, I can also say one thing is there's the whole myth that Russian is like this insanely impossible language, and it is different, and it requires a little bit of a different way of thinking, but all the things about it that are sort of different for the most part are systemic, and sort of like once you learn the system, you're kind of get over it. Like you've probably seen this. In fact, I think I actually have it because, oh, no, it's not where I thought it was. No, there it is. I don't know if you can see this image. I'll send it to you guys. It's basically there's a notebook and it says what on there, like run, ran, running. There's like three words of that. And then it has all the versions of the word for run in Russian that theoretically um, exist. So first off, they're lying because they, they have running like, well, you know how in English we have like a overran, like to overrun something is like a word, but it includes run. So first off, they added words like that that have run in them to that list. So that's line number one. And line number two is that all those crazy endings are done systemically. So once you know those endings, you can apply them to any word. It's kind of like uh, in Russian, where this is our Russian lesson for today. If a word is male, okay, it ends in a consonant that makes it male, and you have nyet. You put the letter A, basically the letter A at the end. So it's like Aleg, Nyet Alega, Cleveland, Ohio, Cleveland, Nyet Clevelanda. Uh, I don't know what else you could say. Mitch is a sword. Nyet Micha, Mitch Ah. So again, it doesn't require you to know this gigantic list of a million things. It's a, it's a system. No, mail word, ah uh, at the end, done, when there's none of it. And it's just essentially getting used to that over and over again. So that list is something that Russians even share. And they think it's funny that their language is so hard when it's all a system. Or it's like, you know, you take a uh, take a number and add three to it. So you go 10, 13, 21, 24, 33, 36, 
oh my god dude how do you know all that because it's a system you know it's the same thing uh one more question i'll pass you on to grace where was that question <laughs> that i can't tell you i, I do not have the answer to that question <laughs> Oh, uh, that's what I wanted to talk about, being used by locals. You, you said uh, that uh, it, it's it's easy for them. Or actually, no, let, let's, let's, let's go to the technology because I'm a huge tech freak. Oh, okay. Technology, um, cool. How advanced is Russia with their technology? Do they, are they like, uh, like Israel, like the next Silicon Valley kind of thing? Or are they more like um, um, Cleveland? Oh, oh, boy. <laughs> Well, as, as we've noticed, uh, maybe in terms of military technology, Russia certainly see, tends to be ahead of the game. Uh, I would say that um, Russians are actually very open to technology, even older people. And I'm not saying that like every elderly person in Russia is like uh, uh, some sort of like C++ programmer. But people here seem to be, on the one hand, very conservative. But on the other hand, they seem pretty open-minded to embracing new technology. So, yeah, I would say Russia is a pretty open to high tech kind of place. But, you know, the real leaders so far, at least of uh, sort of the world of, let's just say, social media and Web 2.0, it's really it's really California. That's the world leader of that, where even after all this, the massive firings with Google and Facebook and all that. So far, I think that's still more the world sort of um, capital of all that. But I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of tech companies here. There's a lot of video game companies here. Um, they're actually starting to make computer starting. They've for a while been making, you know, computer chips and all that in Russia. And so, yeah, I would say Russia is definitely a place where there is a tech industry. There really is. I can even compare to California. I don't know, but California seems to be slipping down uh, as we speak. So I'm not really sure what to say. Although one thing is the government, did I think actually put in an order or a tender uh, for Russia to finally have its own operating system uh, because everyone kind of sees that like uh, windows and Android being on every device. Well, yeah, that's uh, that that's, that's not good for state security. So we may actually have a sort of weird uh, co new cottage industry within Russia of uh, people that want to um, make compatible uh, programs and all those other goodies uh, for the upcoming Aurora uh, operating system that will come to dominate our lives. Oh, another thing about systems is remember how when they threatened to take Russia off of SWIFT, uh, the thing that makes Visa and MasterCard work, uh, they did that, but Russia had time to prepare and they made the Mir cards and the Mir cards work. And so Russia was able to make its clone of, uh, you know, uh, SWIFT. Uh, there, you know, Zoom, Russia has a clone that works way better called Telemost, Yandex Telemost, way better. There's Google Drive. Well, there's Yandex Drive, there's uh, uh, Uber and all that stuff. There's Yandex Taxi, and there's another one. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, there's uh, Google Maps. Well, there's uh, Double Geese, uh, which are some maps here that everyone raves over. There's actually two competing ones. Um, so as you see, uh, there's uh, definitely uh, everything that exists in America, there's a Russian clone of that works very well. Mm -hmm. So maybe some of the ideas aren't necessarily the most original, uh, but uh, the uh, the cl the cloning is done very well. Um, just, yeah. just a follow up, just a one follow up, and then I'll pass you on to Grace. 
how, sure. what about AI? How are they adapting to the, the recent surge with artificial intelligence coming into the fold, especially with ChatGPT and Swell AI and all those uh, all those other uh, dude, that's that's beyond my knowledge. All I know is that uh, the government, including Putin himself, like the big speaking sort of heads of the government, said that they understand that AI is part of the future and that they're supporting it. So that's all I can tell you. Okay, cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, Tim. So you mm -hmm. have uh, six kids? Are, are, oh no, no, just I have just two, just oh. two. <laughs> two kids i'd love are to have six though that'd be awesome but it didn't work out that way so you may have, you still have time i think <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> cheaper by the dozen so they said yeah something and like so that all these you can see the hairs are getting uh pretty gray there so we'll see well what how are they in school what's the school system like that for the kids the children and their their books you know etc because i'm sure you know about the critical race theory and then all the sex education that's happening yeah. with their children in america well i can tell you one thing on the one hand yeah this sort of like that uh this uh, racial hatred as an official part of education, of course, doesn't exist here. Uh, the whole uh, uh, rainbow colored flag stuff that that just is, is, is gone. That's actually uh, propagandizing that amongst children and now even adults has become illegal. So you're not going to have to worry about that. But the one thing I can tell you is that despite what maybe people say, uh, I don't, one other good thing, uh, homeschooling is completely legal in Russia. So in a lot of countries, homeschooling is not legal, but you can uh, homeschool your children here, everyone. So that's also nice. They just have to learn Russian and certain state minimums. But uh, I can tell you that uh, my kids have been in both the American system and the Russian one. And gosh, in America, they teach them how to read much better. Like just the way they taught them how to read. I don't know. I kind of like the American system because people kept telling me like, you got to be afraid common core math is coming to destroy everything. I don't know. The math they had in America was better. The reading, especially the learning to read stuff was way better. But uh, like my daughter said once, she's like, I love going to school in America much more. It's like, oh, why? Because it's so easy. I'm like, oh, that's, 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 that's not a reason to, 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 to love it. But I would say in some ways, I, I'm kind of a little bit happier with the results they were getting in America. Um, yeah. In Russia, everything's kind of a little bit chaotic. After the Soviet Union collapsed, it's like, which textbooks are we going to use? And there's a few different competing ones. And, you know, a lot of these teachers seem to, I don't know, at least in my kids' school, not exactly the highest level of professionalism. So I don't know. But I think that problem could be everywhere. So Long story short, if someone has the willpower and the energy, you should probably homeschool your kids. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But then again, one thing where Russia does do better, even if they don't teach it the, the best, in, in my opinion, but what the results are, they really push math. And, like, I think I had algebra in sixth grade in America. Here you have it in, like, second grade, and the kids get it. So, like, they're way ahead of the curve on math. Um, other stuff, not so much, but with math, yes. And uh, I did look at my kids' history books in a few times in Russian, and uh, no major complaints. I can't, one thing I could say then again is someone has a design degree, badly organized. Uh, but being badly organized is a little bit different from being filled with bad information. Uh, so, yeah. And you are... 
very cross-culturally oriented. What are like mm. the holidays that they observe in Russia? Oh, well, uh, the uh, biggest holiday for everyone is New Year's, the January 1st uh, New Year's. And I say the January 1st one because old New Year's on the old calendar is also observed. And that's what January 14th, 15th, 16th. I always forget what it is somewhere in there. Okay. So there's actually two New Year's. Uh, there's new and old. Now the ethnic minorities within Russia observe another different two New Year's. There's Sabantui for people who live in colder parts of Russia is in June. So their new year starts in June because uh, they live in the really cold places. If you have, if you celebrate Sabantui and then some other cultures celebrate Nauriz and Nauriz is uh, new years in March. So sometimes uh, depending where you live in Russia, you could have four new years in one place. Uh, also some people just for fun, like to uh, make an excuse to kind of celebrate Chinese new years. And interestingly enough, the idea that like the Chinese have, you know, there's a year of the rat, year of the dragon, all these animals. Uh, in Russia, they do that, but it has nothing to do with your birth. But they like just this idea that there's this Chinese system. And this has been here since I've been here. It's not new. Uh, they just have like an, an official animal for every year. So if it's, if it's year of the rat, then it's just rat year for everyone as like the symbol of the year. So you'll see on like all the calendars that they have, like it's uh, 2024. They'll have rats all over the calendars cartoon rats and you might buy someone like a candle shaped like a rat for 2024 so they kind of use the chinese system but again it has nothing to do with your birth or you it has to do with the symbol of the year so that's new year's uh holiday number two is easter which is a little bit uh, different date wise from the catholic easter and uh that is definitely a very widespread uh holiday uh, that's definitely when the churches are very crowded um so number two is easter uh, maybe tied with Easter is Victory Day, which is May 9th, celebrating the victory over World War II, uh, the end of World War II. Uh, that is always a very serious one where there's the big parades in Moscow. There's parades in every city in Russia. Uh, and those are kind of the big ones. Uh, the rest of the holidays tend to get kind of smaller and smaller. Like there's uh, National Unity Day at the beginning of November, which kind of has like political protests and stuff, kind of. Usually positive protests, sort of like, we're going to do it. Um, yeah, those are kind of, I guess the, the big holidays, maybe I'm forgetting something, but, uh, yeah, new year's is kind of the big fun holiday, uh, of all of them, but also because there's a uh, new year's and then it stretches sort of the old new year's and all that you get 10 days off of work. So like from the first to the 10th, you're just off. So because all the, because Christmas on the old calendar is on January 7th. So it stretches from New Year's new calendar through Christmas old calendar. That's why it's so long. And in May, they still sometimes celebrate May the 1st. is like May Day of Day of Great Labor for Communism. So in May, you also very often get a lot of days off. Like no one works the first two weeks of May. So it's fun time. LGBT parade? Rainbow parade? No, 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 no. That's, uh, that's against the rules since the start of the special military operation. That's... Uh, uh that that's over so how about how about drugs in school or at work or in general how rampant it is and uh what's Man, going you know, on i'm kind of outside of that but i would say it's definitely less well i'll put this way it's not socially acceptable whereas in america over time you know there's always the people like well we should just give out needles because they're going to do it anyways we should just legalize this because they're going to do it anyways that logic doesn't uh really suit russian culture 
of people do something that's wrong and enough people do it, we'll legalize it. That's not how things work here at all. So uh, I guess there's there's somebody using drugs because uh, like even by uh, Fort Kirby here, a um, couple months ago, maybe more than a couple months ago, I don't know, six months ago, last fall, uh, I saw some guys walking around with a shovel. And what does that mean? Um, if someone's a drug addict in Russia, like apparently the dealers, uh, they put like a, uh, like a one-time use GPS tracker in like the bag with the drugs. And then somehow there's some sort of like cryptocurrency transfer and they dig a hole to hide the bag in the woods. And then they send like the number uh, to the guys. And then the guys have to go dig up the bag with the drugs. So like with Russia, if, any, if someone's a drug addict, <laughs> they, they, they walk around with a shovel because they're looking. Uh, so that's that's kind of one phenomenon, but I don't know. You really don't see much of that, and uh, I think some of the statistics about Russians drinking less and less every year match reality. So I think we're sort of on the right track here in terms of uh, substance abuse. But obviously, someone's doing something somewhere. So, but also sometimes people grow out of it. You know, when everyone's in their twenties, it's party time, man. But then you have your first kid, and it's kind of like, well, <laughs> you know, time to move on. And the right to bear arms? Uh, that's one of the ones where I think we really in Russia need to uh, consider what we're doing here. It's a little bit of a contradiction in terms. So the laws uh, in Russia about this are called on gun, which translates to on gun, which is kind of funny sounding. But anyways, it says, according to Russian law, we have the right to defend ourselves uh, with smooth bore weapons which opens also an interesting sort of can of worms. What defines a smoothboard weapon? Would uh, an assault rifle that doesn't have the actual rifling in the barrel, the little uh, things that make the bullet spin, uh, is that a smoothboard weapon? Maybe. But then you have to do this weird thing where you have to buy like a uh, up to two shot smoothbore weapon for like one year and then have it for a year. And then you can buy one that's semi-automatic and then you can buy an actual rifle maybe later. So the first off, it's kind of weird and you kind of have to do this like waiting game and it's supposedly your right to defend yourself, but you also have to kind of like prove to the government that you're not insane to buy it. Uh, you also have to show your local sheriff that you bought a gun safe that's drilled into the wall of your home to show that the guns won't be stolen easily. Uh, so there's a lot more to it and it's a kind of a lot uh, vague. Another thing that can happen is that in Russia uh, you're supposed to be allowed to use a uh, force equal to or lesser than someone who attacked you. So for example, uh, some guy attacks you with a, a knife and you pick up a rock and you happen to beat him to death with a rock. Okay. Well, he came at you with a knife. You came at him with a rock. They're both sort of hand weapons and uh, okay, you're, you're, you're good. You're get Go on, get out of here. Well, what if someone, especially grace for you, someone comes at you and uh, or they're outside your house acting really weird. And you take a gun and you shoot them and you try to shoot them in the leg, but they kind of wander off and they drop dead somewhere else. Well, they could say that, well, this person didn't directly present a threat and you used more threat than they presented and you could get in trouble. But the problem is with this, it's extremely inconsistent. And that's another problem with this whole thing about like self-defense and gun rights. Everything is sort of, really vague and really inconsistent. And I think it's also something that's going to be important because now supposedly, so we have this system, right? Where we kind of have a second amendment, but not really. And then recently the government's like, well, we need the average man to go and defend the borders. 
We, they want Russian, common Russian citizens to, they're going to try to put together something where we can like form militias. And it's like, okay. So again, it's like, we're going to form militias, but then I have to like buy a training gun before like I buy a real gun or we're a militia without guns, which is useless. Like, what is this? So I think it's one of these things where one of the problems is a, because Russians all believe that guns are illegal in their country, which is mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing. But if you ask people outside, eight out of 10 people will tell you guns are illegal here. That's number one. So there's no public discussion about it because everyone thinks you can't buy a gun, even though you can. It's mental. Um, so the issue number one, and then uh, issue number two, because no one really knows about it. Like there's no discussion about this. I, I really think that this is definitely something that kind of needs to be um, worked out or thought about because it's like, you know, on the one hand, the government saying, yes, Russian man, stand up and defend your country yourself. Okay, could I buy, just walk out and buy a gun today? No. You know, it's kind of nuts. I, I don't know what they want from us. But it's very inconsistent and very frustrating, and it's something that needs to be fixed. And especially, like I said, about this thing of uh, this, uh, you can't use greater force than the person who assails you. I think there needs to be also a different um, logic to that, because... Mm -hmm sometimes things happen and I, I don't know. Cause like, well, one time, one guy, he would not leave me alone cause of my accent and I whooped him. <laughs> so he would not, I, I told him, I walked away from him uh, three times. And on the fourth time I just took him out. And one of the first things I heard when I got home was like, you know, if he, if he has like a brain hemorrhage, you'll go to jail. Why? You know, a lot of the stuff really, again, it needs to be kind of worked out because I used then a uh, force that wound up being lethal against force that against me that wasn't lethal. And me, 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 me. so it's not a good, it's, I would say it's far from a good situation. One of the good things, <laughs> Russia, though, is it's no one really, uh, the police aren't exactly enthusiastic to arrest people. So that's one thing that sort of helps out is if Russia actually really enforced its laws, maybe it would be unpleasant to live here. But since everyone's kind of just like, Eh, things work themselves on their on, on their own, whatever. You kind of actually get this feeling of being like an old time America, you know. It's so. it, that, yeah, that part when you said it depends on which um, how how you kind of like defended yourself. It's a, they have to redefine that because in the moment when you think you're defending yourself. You can just grab anything to defend yeah. yourself, right? So that has to be redefined. Okay, so now this one, the hot topic in the United States always the time, and how are the taxes? What oh, well, like I mentioned about that, if you're self-employed, you're paying 4%. If you're, okay. But that's up to a certain amount of money. That's up to how much money a year? Like two and a half million rubles a year or something. Then after that, you have to start a uh, individual entrepreneurship, which is more organized like a business. And that's six to nine percent taxes. But most of them are like six percent. Uh, that's on kind of another level. Uh, but it's six percent. And you have to put three hundred dollars or something into what in America we call Social Security. Uh, Europe, Europeans usually call that pension. Uh, so with this individual entrepreneurship, you're building your social security or pension uh, and you're paying generally for almost all people at 6% taxes. So it's a little higher, but that allows you to earn as much money as whatever you want. Um, so that's really good. If you, the problem is when you're an employee, that's where the problems start. Because if you're sort of an employee, you pay 13% federal taxes, but then you also have to pay every month into social security and the amount you pay into social security is pretty big. And I think it winds up kind of being something like in the United States where ultimately 
uh, I think it winds up to be like 30 some percent. So employees tend to be very expensive uh, as opposed to say individual contractors. Like if someone was to say, Hey Grace, uh, you know, I want you to come on my TV show. We're willing to pay you an honorarium of uh, 10,000 rubles. And you were like, uh, said, okay, uh, that's great. I uh, work this one job. I work as a nurse, but I have my uh, uh, self-employment app on my phone. So you would lose 4% of that 10,000 rubles. However, for every 10,000 rubles that a uh, Russian employee of that TV channel would be making, they'd be lo losing somewhere in that sort of 30% range to taxes, you see? Yeah. So yeah. again, the Russian system is very much, for whatever reason, maybe it's historical or by planning, really pushes people to work for themselves. Do you because know you just make more money. Do you know if it's a written law that the income taxes must be paid? Uh, oh, well, you, do you mean the United States about how we have this goofy Federal Reserve system and income taxes? Or, or do you mean about oh, in Russia? Here? In Russia. First in Russia. I'm well, just yeah, well... Well, one of the nice things about Russia, which is good from an American standpoint, is in America, we uh, we have to file uh, to the IRS, like our, you know, yearly taxes and all that. We have to do that. We better not screw up or we're in trouble. Whereas in Russia, it's always the person who's in the employing, not the employee, the employing side, they file it. So if you work at a company in Russia, say it's a big, a big company, you never even see this. They tell you what your salary is generally. So they tell you your salary is 100,000 rubles a year. It's actually 130, probably something, but they deal with that. You don't even see it. You don't worry about it. They send all that stuff. You do nothing. Okay. So in some ways, living in Russia can be less stressful in America because unless you're in the accounting department of a company, you really don't have much to do with your taxes. Or like for me, the individual entrepreneurship. Once a month, I get a message from the federal tax services that I need to pay like 600 rubles or something in taxes or whatever, 800. In fact, I forgot to do that. I should do that after we go before it goes late, uh, you know, and uh, it's an awesome program. And so, the is about property taxes. Oh, very low, very low, because the uh, first off, they're very low to begin with. And the value of things in Russia, according to the um, what is that in English? Holy moly. The government's map, we'll call it. Their magical map has the value of what things cost. You know, not the market value, what you'd actually pay for it, but the value of government assessment. And all these assessments tend to be very low, like crazy low. So like, you know, I have uh, two houses and I usually pay about like eight bucks a year per house, $8 a year. So yeah, which is much. I, how much will you pay in property taxes in Canada? I can't even imagine. In Toronto, it's about uh, three percent of the value of the house. So if it's oh. um, uh, usually the average house here is about two and a half million dollars, a three-bedroom house. Wait, wait, wait. So hold on. Wait, okay, stop, stop. So if you have a if you have a million, then one percent of a million would be what ten thousand dollars. Yeah. So that's thirty thousand dollars. Like a oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Well, I pay eight. So there you go. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, yeah, so thankfully that's the way it is. And generally one thing that's very good, whereas sometimes our Second Amendment stuff in Russia is vague and confusing, and that, that is definitely a turnoff for a lot of Americans. Again, I think it's something we need to make a decision about in Russian society. One thing that is good, 
the, ironically, a former communist country has the best property rights, rights laws in the world. It is so hard for anyone to take your property away, even if you own like back taxes and in, in, in some amount of money. Obviously, my taxes, it takes a long time for them to add up. But, you know, you're not going to lose your house if you can't afford to pay for it. You're, it's really, really stacked on the side of the citizen for whatever reasons. Maybe because um, I think in some way some of the rich guys like it that way. <laughs> you know, they're like, well, if I lose my business, I'm not going to lose my mansion. So I think that could be where that comes from. But anyways, a private property in terms of like your house and stuff, the laws here, mwah. Second Amendment here, eh. Uh, other things can be kind of the migration laws for, in terms of you want to come here are the worst. Uh, but in terms of like property rights, it's amazing. It is so good. It is so easy after someone who's bought three pieces of property here, everything is so clear. You, when you own stuff, you really own it. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, thank you so much. This is wonderful. So it's just going to be enjoyable to share this because many people are keep wondering how it is oh, to move to Russia. Oh, good. Russia. Okay. Right. So thank you, and John. Thank you, John. Thank you, Hartmut. And and we oh we got the news, and we offer prayers for Roy's family. That's why he couldn't oh. come. His father just passed away. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, that's, um, yeah. But we continue to keep each other in good thoughts and prayers and to all, everyone who's doing what they need to do to spread truth and freedom and to get themselves better and better and be protective, especially for our families. Thank you. And Tim, do you need, do you have anything more to share that's so important and invite them for whatever you're doing. And okay. Well, Please. I would just say that um, uh, if you want to just see a crazy rundown of news and events in Russia, that's where you go to Tim Kirby, Russia, hardcore on telegram. But if you want to see like all my videos and stuff, the political stuff is always under the Tim Kirby, Russia brand. You can find that on rumble. Uh, my trips uh, like traveling stuff is called RTTT rush tips, tricks and travel on Russia. The problem is, uh, the English language name for YouTube is now like Tim Kirby's Travels. You can find them on YouTube, but why not watch it on Rumble? Because on Rumble, they're never going to delete it. So uh, that's where you should should subscribe uh, to there. And also, if you look for the, the the this old Russian house, that's the project where I remodeled my house in Russia. That might be interesting for you. So, yeah, that's about it. Look for me on Rumble. You'll find me. Thank you. And I, I think Rumble keeps upping their game. One could do live oh, yeah. stream. I'm just not too techy, but anyway, I heard about that. So thank mm -hmm. you for everything. And uh, source bless, God bless. And see you again. Talk to you in the next many months. Okay. We'll All give right. you a little Talk break because I know. Oh, you that's, that's okay. I'm always ready <laughs> to come back. All right. And, take care. Don't forget, and to the audience, don't forget to share, 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 okay? And yes. uh, like us and subscribe and donate whatever you can to all of us. <laughs> Thank you.